Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former Manchester City winger Trevor Sinclair and TalkSport's football correspondent Alex Crook as Harry Kane blows the title race wide open. For Bentancourt, 2-2 right at the end of the game. Kulisevsky darting down the right, 94 minutes on the clock. We've got seven added minutes. It's towards the far post. Kane is there and he's headed it in and now this time he's certainly won it. Yeah, the best Premier League review is right here. We'll get involved in what went wrong with City and Antonio Conte making a bit of a U-turn. We'll discuss that. Liverpool labouring to a win over Norwich. And the result of the weekend, well, maybe, Burnley beating Brighton at the Amex. Manchester United weather a storm at Ellen Road and the Foxes finished off by hungrier Wolves. Also this week, Watford score and get a victory. Palace punished at the end and Brentford flirt with a return to the Championship. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello, Trevor, and hello to Alex Crook. Trevor, you okay? Because you've had a very difficult weekend, haven't you, with uh, West Ham struggling to get over the line against uh, relegation-threatened Newcastle and Manchester City losing for the first time in 15 Premier League games. Well, hello, to start with. You've not given me much chance to settle down, have you? You've gone straight (laughs) in, Sam. You've gone straight in. I went in a little bit two-footed there, didn't I? Uh, yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, struggled, I think. Um, human is what the word that comes to mind for me. You know, they've got 43 points from a possible 45 in the last games in the Premier League and it's not going to go on forever and it was a, a little bit underwhelming, the performance, especially in the final third, but 71% possession. You know, they had uh, the majority of play, but I feel you have to give a lot of credit more than that to Spurs. We'll get to them in just a second. Um, what, what does... Do Manchester City fans do when they lose a game, though? Because it doesn't happen very often. So, what, 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 do, what do you do on a Saturday night where you lose a game? Is it some sort of they drown know, like, their sorrows, Sam? They drown. Is that what you do? Is it? <laughs> I thought there might be some do. ritual involved in it. Um, Alex Crook is much more used to losing uh, than Trevor is, and he's with us as well. You're right. I'm good. I'm good. I had a very enjoyable Saturday alongside Adrian Durham, another masterclass from Ralph Hasenhutl, and I didn't waste any time in reminding Adrian about his comments on Drive this week. Is Ralph Hasenhutl all that? I think Southampton's recent form suggests he just might be. Okay. Um, uh, not a great day for Frank Lampard and Everton, though, and we will talk about that in detail a little bit later on. Trevor was at the Villa game. Uh, Crookie was at Southampton. I was at Manchester City. And uh, I had a good look at the uh, West Ham-Newcastle game as well. I watched all of that live on Saturday morning before I went to the Etihad. So let's get there where City felt the full force of the hurricane. 
first, the footballing bout of the weekend. Into the penalty area, gets chopped, lays it back to the edge of the box, and on his first start, it's a goal for Kulusevski. Then plays it back towards Sterling, right-footed ball, into the box, it's a dangerous zone, comes back to Gundogan, and those fractures are exposed. A terrible goalkeeping error. Son sends it into the box, and Kane stops it past the goalkeeper to give Tottenham a 2-1 lead. You have to credit Tottenham, it came with that game plan and they've stuck to it and so far it's working for them. Well having lost to Wolves, Spurs it's desperate to get something here. They haven't lost three in a row. They've lost three in a row, they haven't lost four in a row since 2004. Martin Yol and Jack Santini were in charge. Brilliant, brilliant finish from Harry Kane. Over on the left-hand side, twisting, turning and firing it past the goalkeeper. VAR has chalked the goal off for a possible offside. Bernardo Silva through the area. Was there a handball? The referee shakes his head. He's asking for confirmation. He's made that decision. He's pointing to the spot and City have a penalty. Is the biggest penalty that Mares has taken to get on the scoreboard and level things up. He runs up to the ball, left-footed, drives it into the roof of the net, and it's 2-2. 94 minutes on the clock, we've got seven added minutes. It's towards the far post. Kane is there, and he's headed it in, and now this time he's certainly won it. Now they can go the full Conte. City, once again involved in a real titanic tussle with Tottenham. What a fantastic match. Manchester City 2, Tottenham 3. Well, what a devastating display of counter-attacking football from Tottenham, who beat Manchester City by three goals to two. Led by Harry Kane, they overcame the handling errors of Hugo Lloris to open up the title race. More on that in just a moment. But Trevor, let's talk about Spurs and their game plan. You mentioned it at the top of the programme. Structured on a soak-and-strike premise and executed brilliantly. Yeah, not the first time Spurs have done that against Manchester City. And I thought, again, the key um, culprits, Harry Kane, brilliant. Um, dropping into space, um, getting the ball, using his physicality and his passing range. I think it's underrated. You know, he gets the ball, he, he, he puts his body in the way, defends the ball. And then when he releases it and you've got runners around him, it's, it's a fantastic um, model to play on. And Son and uh, the, the lad uh, Kulusevski were Kulusevski, excellent. Yeah. yeah, they were excellent. And um, yeah, it was difficult. It was It was a really difficult watch. Because you kind of knew the game plan from the start when you started watching the game. And uh, they executed it brilliantly. Got a lot of men behind the ball. Played more of a five at the back. And um, yeah, it was uh, just a little reminder to Manchester City that this title race is not over. And there's a lot of lot of games to go. I did a bit bitter there, I thought. I don't know about you, Crookie. <laughs> I, um, give, I give Spurs plenty of credit because I <laughs> thought they were really good. Oh, the irony, hey? It could be the uh, Harry Kane that ends up uh, stopping City from winning the title. Kane was excellent all round, I thought, actually. And Conte, quick to point that out. Yeah. He also said afterwards that this group of players that he's got at Tottenham were the best group he'd ever worked with in his entire career, which all seems a little bit different to what he was saying last week. But anyway, <laughs> don't worry about those mixed messages. What do you think, Crook? <clears throat> Well, yeah, it's the old taken out of context line, isn't it? Again, from Antonio Conte, we've seen that time and again uh, with foreign players and managers in the Premier League. I I do have a couple of points to make. One, I think if you look at Manchester City and and the the games in which they've dropped points, it's when teams haven't shown them respect. Crystal Palace earlier in the season, Southampton have drawn with them twice and now Tottenham have beaten them uh, twice, which is a great achievement for them. I do wonder if maybe some teams in the Premier League are guilty of almost losing the game in the tunnel. It used to happen uh, when Manchester United were there, Pomp and and Liverpool uh, back in the 80s as well. But on Harry Kane, yes, he was fantastic. 
He had a point to prove. He certainly proved it. But if you're a Tottenham fan, do you feel a little bit robbed by his performance for the rest of the season? Why why has he not hit those heights for the rest of the campaign? You say that, Cookie. You say that. He's he's got 15 goals and and three assists. Yeah, but half of those 15 goals have come in in that... um pub tournament again you have to come back down to it you have to look at this situation that he was in in the summer um he started the season poorly we all know that and he probably felt like he had the world on his shoulders that affected his game in my opinion um he's kind of shook that off and he's he's improving as the season goes on and yeah he's only the sixth and seventh premier league goals he's got all campaign yeah but listen you have to look at spurs as a whole the transition, the new manager. Um, there's been a lot going on. It's not just about Harry Kane. So, yeah, no, I think um, he, he really did showcase what he's all about. And I mentioned this, I, I did a little piece um, for breakfast on Friday. And I said, if, you know, if he feels inspired to prove to the people at Manchester City and to the people at Tottenham that he is top class, this could be the game that he, he shows that. And I actually feel he's done that. Okay, Kulisevsky scored on his first start. The fourth Swede to do that in the Premier League. Son and Kane now eclipsing the record of goal combos set by Drogba and Lampard. Congratulations to them. They didn't look like a side that had lost their last three, but City stuttered, playing a high line that actually caused them trouble in the game with Sporting as well. Why did they persist in doing that when every time that Kane dropped deep, spun and swung the ball over the top, did they keep defending right up to within an inch of the halfway line, Crook? Listen, it's very hard to be critical of Pep Guardiola when you look at what he's achieved in the game. But this is not the first time that, that Manchester City have come up unstuck playing that high line against teams who like to counter-attack. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did it to him on a regular basis. So I think that is a, a chink in Pep's armour. But we have to give a lot of credit to Tottenham. I thought Kulisevsky was excellent. Benton Kerr uh, in midfield as well. Hoybier ratting around and being a real Disgraceful. Pest. Yeah. Um, but dark <laughs> arts. But listen, you need, you need that against Manchester City. But what it does do now is it gives us a really enthralling end to the season. Liverpool themselves, obviously, behind against Norwich, found a way to win. Six points the gap. They've got a game in hand. They've still got to play Manchester City. City are the favourites, but I think from a neutral perspective, this type of weekend was just what we needed. 100%. And Liverpool could cut City's lead to just three points when they play their game in hand on Wednesday night at home to Leeds United. So City can't afford when they go to Everton next weekend another slip-up, can they? No chance. And looking at Everton, you know, the performance that they put in this weekend, you wouldn't imagine it's going to happen. And I've seen the, um, you know, the, the interview after the game by Gundogan and he said, listen, this might be what we needed to make sure we're not getting carried away and we know that there's a long way to go in the season. Do you think that's why Pep was saying after the 5-0 in midweek, Trevor, that uh, oh, it wasn't good enough? No, <laughs> no, we didn't play particularly well. We gave away too many chances, etc., etc. Was he already anticipating a performance like this coming down the track? Yeah, listen, he's not got a mystic ball, but I, I do think um, you see little um, bits and bobs in training um, prior to um, the game, because obviously the game is the showcase, but you see what's coming in training day in, day out. And I feel Pep did see little aspects of certain things that he wasn't happy with. I think I'll pick out a couple of players. I'm not, not digging them out, but Cancelo again, defensively, um, got done at the far post. Um, his spatial awareness when defending crosses, I don't think it's very good. And then on, on, the, on the third goal, you know, he didn't get tight enough to try and stop the cross. So, uh, there was a few, and then and Rodri as well. I feel if Rodri was doing his job properly, I thought he was a bit too expansive and a bit, bit too on his front foot. If he had any brains, especially with the way the game was going and, and you could see the phase of play which Tottenham were trying to execute, 
you sit in front of Harry Kane and make sure that he doesn't receive the ball like he did. Harry Kane, obviously, he's clever and he, he'll see that uh, Rodri may have tried to screen him. He'll go to another position to receive the ball. And that's what happens when you play elite, elite players. But I just thought them two players were slightly off it. And, um, you know, you need 11 players on the pitch doing it. And Manchester City just struggled to put in the performances that we've, 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 we've almost come expecting of them. Let's turn our attention uh, to Liverpool against Norwich. Liverpool ended up winning the game. Mo Salah's 150th Liverpool goal helped keep his side's title challenge on track as they came from behind uh, to beat Norwich 3-1 at Anfield. How significant this rules result will end up being will probably only be known later on in the year. But it felt like a season-defining moment, didn't it, Crook, when, when Salah scored? that gentle shot past Angus Gunn who'd come out to sort of like the midway point of his own half to sort of try and forage for it in the 67th minute because it showed that they could react to adversity even with a hell of a lot of changes. Yeah, and it showed the the, the strength for the squad. Obviously, uh, Diaz coming on and scoring his first goal. They have so many options now, uh, particularly in those forward areas. I think the arrival of Diaz will bring the best out of Sadio Mane, who hasn't exactly been banging in goals for fun this season, but it was an exceptional finish from him. Brilliant assist from uh, Alisson. You don't see too many goalkeepers get assists these days, but I think Angus Gunn probably can claim two assists as well for the first two goals. I mean, uh, what was he doing? What was he doing on that Mo Salah goal? I mean, was uh, he going for a wonder, an afternoon stroll? Just got his angles wrong, I think. Not for the first time this season. No. Uh, but listen, they show good character at Liverpool. You victimise him again, aren't you? He, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a goalkeeping he's, critic, he's isn't he? A, he's a bully. No, I'm I just I, I don't think Angus Gunn is he very just good. Doesn't like Angus Gunn. I don't think he's very good. Angus Gunn. Uh, but but Liverpool were good in that second half, and, and they showed their full attacking armoury. Uh, Salah, as you said, first player to reach 150 goals for Liverpool since Roger Hunt. His form continues to get better and better. Quickest player, I should say, since Roger Hunt, not the first. And it, it was a significant result, not just because they came from behind, but because of what uh, unfolded at the Etihad a few hours later. Yeah, second fastest in history, 150 wow. goals in 232 matches. Not bad. Roger Hunt did do it in 226, which, again, shows how impressive he mm. was back in the day. Henderson's ball for the Diaz goal, I thought, was terrific, by the way. It was an absolute slicer. And that was a pivotal sort of four-minute period when Mane's overhead kick had just leveled things and then the goal from, from Salah. Talk to me about that Sadio Mane overhead kick. I mean... Did anybody sort of think about marking him? I, I mean, I, I know that sounds like a really stupid thing to do, but that might have been sort of like, you know, a little bit of a, a way of preventing them from getting back on level terms. Actually Easier said than done. The stri- what, marking a striker? No, no, it's, listen, it's wave after wave after wave. And it's, it's fatigue, it's confusion. Um, and them units have got to be unbelievable to stay disciplined and stay tight and keep on communicating. You've got him, we're coming across... They rotated the ball many times and switched the play. One minute you're marking Mane, next minute you're marking Salah, and then they switch the ball again. And it's just wave after wave after wave. And that's okay, why... So it is more difficult than maybe we sit here and we do, you Absolutely. know, obviously. We, we take, take the mick in a sense because it does appear that Norwich aren't very good at marking um, or keeping the ball out of their net. But ultimately, what you're saying is it's a lot more complicated than just keeping man for man and making sure that you know where everybody is. Well, of course it is, Sam. And, and you know, um, players will rotate and all of a sudden Mane will go into the centre and, and Mo Salah will end up out, out on the right and then he'll go centre, then he'll go deep. And there's so much communication needed. And this is why, this is why players need to really work on this. And 
you know, we, we might talk about uh, Watford's result away against Aston Villa, which I was commentating on. And they did that superbly well. And I've, I've seen the game against Burnley where they kept the first clean sheet in gazillion years, whatever it was. Uh, and you could see his impact, Roy's impact and Ray Lewinson's impact already. And this is why it's so important to do that work. It's boring at times, and especially if you're someone who takes to this and you, you've done it many times, but new players in the side, they need to do it. And I just thought Norwich were being put under so much pressure and eventually someone switches off through fatigue, through tiredness, through not knowing where... Like, literally all over the place, but what a finish. I mean, Mane, you know, we, we've seen Salah get all applauded, and rightly so, you know, the second player to score 150, the second fastest player to score 150 goals for Liverpool. But Mane, you know, winning the AFCON, he's getting a bit of limelight and to score a superb over a kick like that, coming in from the left, which I always feel is a, a very difficult um, skill to, to execute well, hit it down on the ground, goalkeeper. There's only a no select chance. few people that can pull off goals like that, isn't it? I'm not one of them, to be honest, Sam. My my overhead kick's always coming from the right hand side. This oh, ball right. came in from the left, so yeah, huge plaudits for uh, Mane. I'm a massive fan of his. You know, since he was at Southampton and running around um, Stamford Bridge like he owns a place when he scored a hat trick there. I've I've been a big fan of his since then, and you know he's not disappointed. He's gone on to achieve everything in the game. Um, Jurgen Klopp's decision to make seven changes, including defender Joe Gomez making his first league start in 15 months at right back. From that midweek Champions League win over into Milan, could have affected the fluency, but there was a little sign in the first half which resembled attack versus defence at times. The only thing they were lacking really was a final touch, and, and Simicast missed a huge chance to get his first Liverpool goal in that first 45 minutes. But, you know, I think it's great that he did make all those changes, bearing in mind they've got another big game in midweek and if they do beat Leeds all of a sudden everyone will get very very excited about the meeting between the two in April although there's still a very long way to go so uh, listen uh, I suppose the question here is Crook did we sort of knee jerk did we all knee jerk I I mean you're very sort of good at knee jerking you're always coming up with bold claims after four (laughs) weeks of the season and then backtracking halfway through you almost backtracked about Norwich going down the other week Um, (laughs) um, but 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 in terms of the title race did, did Will we wrong to think that it was all over in January? I don't know, because I think Manchester City will still win the title. I, I said, what, a week or so ago that Liverpool would pretty much need to win every game. Yes, it's a setback for Manchester City, but as you've already alluded to, it might just resharp and refocus a few minds there. Uh, maybe dispel any myth that may have seeped into the dressing room that they are invincible. I, I still think Liverpool have got it all to do. They've got to go to the Etihad and win. I think Manchester City will probably get something from that game and, and that will be enough to get them over the line. And, and, and Liverpool will drop points between now and the end of the season. Norwich back on the bottom of the table as a result mm. of that defeat at Anfield. Um, Newcastle edging further away from the drop zone and West Ham dropped more points in the race for fourth place after drawing with a tune. who may well have won this game had Alan St. Maximan been fit. They didn't deserve to go behind, did well to fight back, stretching their run to six Premier League games unbeaten. And West Ham, Trevor, didn't really find their flow in the match. No, no surprise, unfortunately. Um, I was actually listening to this game on, on Talk Sport um, on the way down to uh, Villa Park. And the way the boys were describing it was superb. Very, very lethargic. Um, looked like they were leggy. And again, it, it comes down to, you know, I mentioned it once the January transfer window closed and they didn't bring any any new signings. You look at what Diaz has done at Liverpool. Not only has he, he brought a freshness to himself and, you know, we're all 
grateful to see a, a top player like that. And by the way, he's got that Coutinho step inside on his right foot and the, the curler, you know, he's missed it a couple of times, but he's getting closer and it's great to see him. But not only does it give that player the, the, the opportunity to play in the Premier League, it also gives everyone around him, the team, the squad, a big boost and West Ham not bringing anyone in. It looked like a team that were kind of used to each other and they give each other, like you know, the peps up before the game many, many times. Sometimes you need a new player in just to bring a little spring in the step for the players. And they didn't do that. They didn't get um, the performance that they wanted, especially early on, in the, early on in the game. And I agree with you. They were lucky to go 1-0 ahead because Newcastle started the game on the front foot. They looked like a team that had got four points out of the last 10 games. And they looked like we were going to London to try and take three points back to Newcastle. Yeah, we've spoken a lot about the investment in January, so we won't revisit that too much. Maybe we should discuss how David Moyes has to alter things, Crook, because Mikel Antonio has scored just two in 17 games. You do have to work with what you've got, and he would have known what he's got now, going between now and the end of the season. So he's got to come up with a plan to get them revitalised again. How does he do it? Well, it's difficult. Uh, because of that lack of spending in January, the options are limited. I guess if you wanted to take Antonio out of the firing line because his goals are definitely uh, dried up, there's no question about that. Maybe you could use Jared Bowen uh, almost as a false number nine, but then are you taking away something from his game? I think Kevin Hatchard highlighted this point when he was last on the podcast that they've, they've missed a trick when it comes to Val Veghorst, who I don't think is the greatest striker in the world, but he caused Brighton all kinds of problems the weekend. Mm. Did well against Manchester United as well. £12 million is not a lot of money for a striker. And you have to guess that if he had a choice between West Ham and Burnley, he would have gone to West Ham. So as much as it's laudable... What, what are you why, saying why, about Burnley? Why, why, why would you say that? That's, That's outrageous. outrageous. As when much, was the last time you went to Burnley? Uh, never been, uh, thankfully. Uh, but listen... A great pizza restaurant on the corner of next to the town hall. <laughs> as much as it's laudable that David Moyes wanted to make sure that whoever he brought in improved the quality of the squad, I get that. But sometimes when you're in Europe, when you're still in the FA Cup, when you're competing for top four... You need numbers and they don't have that. So in terms of a plan B, I think it's very difficult. But I did want to say a quick word about Newcastle because if they stay up, the narrative at the end of the season will be that they spent their way out of trouble. It's not strictly true, is it? Because they were without a lot of their new signings yesterday, particularly uh, Kieran Trippier. They had no Sam Maximan. What Eddie Howe and his coaching staff have done He's given them an identity. He's made them organised. You mentioned six games unbeaten. I think I'm right in saying they've only conceded four goals in those six games, largely with the same back line that was leaking goals for fun under Steve Bruce. So I think, I think it's lazy journalism to say that if Newcastle stay up, they it's just spent, because of the Saudi investment. No way. They haven't spent their way out of it. They've coached their way out of it. And they may well have spent money to add to the, the resources that they've got. But ultimately, you know... Joel Linton playing in midfield. That is a player who was basically surplus to requirements. They yeah. couldn't do anything with him up until Eddie Howe walking through the door. Uh, he looked like he's always played in midfield. They play more passes. You look at the number of passes that they're totaling now to what they were totaling before the arrival of Eddie Howe. It's a huge number, huge change. They're more confident on the ball. They're better structured defensively and offensively 
as well. They got down the left-hand side of West Ham a lot in that first half. And actually, they just needed a poacher in the middle of the park and better delivery into the box. Jacob Murphy has a lot. You know, he has a lot with the ball at his feet, but he doesn't have a final ball. He lacks a final ball. And as a result of that, you know, they don't create enough chances. If they had that sort of creativity on that left-hand side on uh, Saturday, they would definitely have won the game by by a couple of goals because they were clearly the better, more organised and, you know, a team with a desperate. little bit more motivation. Desperate, yeah, yeah, so they were desperate. probably desperate, yeah. Four points clear of Watford now, five from Burnley, but Burnley have two games in hand on them. So actually, Trevor, it, it isn't done yet. So I know Absolutely. they're at four to one to be relegated now, but actually there's still a little bit of work to be done. There is. And, you know, you just mentioned Burnley there. I was at the game when they played against Watford and they played some really good stuff. And Vegas, I thought, was excellent. You know, great with the ball to his feet. Was always a threat in the air. His movement was, it was excellent. And again, you talk about bringing players in. They brought in Cornet. They brought in uh, Vegas. They look like they've got a spring in the step. They look like they, they still believe they've got a fighting chance. And the manager, obviously, they're a reflection of the manager. The manager is saying all the right things in the media. It was an excellent win for them. And yeah, I don't think it's all over. And there's a lot of, lot of football to be played and a lot of matches to be played. Yeah, certainly not over in the race for fourth place as well. Not even for West Ham United, who have dropped points once more. Uh, but it doesn't help that Arsenal have got games in hand and they are winning for fun. They beat Brentford by two goals uh, to one on Saturday at three o'clock. England duo Emil Smith-Rowe and Bakayo Saka once again provided the goods as Arsenal beat Brentford to move within a point of the Premier League top four. Uh, making just his second league start since December the 2nd, Smith-Rowe's solo effort broke the deadlock before following... Uh, Saka as well to add a well-taken second. There was a late blip, uh, but this was routine for Arsenal, who were on top from the start, Crook. Yeah, but if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be slightly concerned that it that domination from minute one didn't really translate into the number of goals it should have. Lacazette, once again, another game without scoring, uh, replaced by Nketiah, who bizarrely took the captain's armband when he came on. And I think the difference between Tottenham and Manchester United and Arsenal. I'm not going to include West Ham in the conversation anymore. I think that ship has sailed in terms of the top four for them. Sorry, Hammers fans, don't have oh, me. Oh, there's another bold claim. Crookie's bold claim. When yeah. they didn't bring anyone in, I just it's not what I want, obviously, but I, I can't see them making that top four with no no recruitment. But the okay, firepower. If Arsenal are not going to make it, if West Ham aren't going to make it, who is going to make it? Tottenham or Arsenal. You're ruling out Manchester United. Or Manchester United. <laughs> I, but, but, but with Arsenal, I think when games are tight, they've got Wolves at home on Thursday. We know that Wolves are not a team who give them too many chances. I think they'll drop points because of that lack of firepower. And they are too reliant for me on the two players who scored at the weekend, Smithrow and Saka. I still think it's been a positive season for Arsenal. I think they're in a better shape now than they were coming into it, and particularly after those first handful of matches. But I think they'll miss out because of the lack of options up front. Brentford have now won just one of the last 10 league games and with Newcastle, Watford and Burnley all picking up points below them. Are we concerned about Brentford? Thomas Frank saying afterwards, we've got to focus on training the next game, the next session. That's the most important thing. We've done that the whole season. It's only about what we do. But it is a tricky situation because the momentum against them has sort of decided to fall away and all the teams below them have games in hand. And it's a big couple of weeks, Trevor, because their next fixtures are Newcastle, Norwich and Burnley. And then they've got Leicester and Chelsea and West Ham United. So what a couple of weeks it is for Brentford. It could be season defining. Huge. 
and I think the the sooner they get Ivan Tony back into that side, the better. Um, I believe it was an injury, but coincided with the little bit of the shenanigans that went on in Dubai. Um, he needs to get back because he is their talisman. Uh, and people think, oh yeah, he's not scored that many goals. He hasn't, but he does bring so much more to the table for Brentford. I think he works tirelessly. He's a leader. Um, he, 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 the levels that the players um, get when he's in the team are better than when he's not in the team. And uh, like you say, one, one win in 10, right down there now, right amongst it. And the early season form, um, if they didn't have that, I think they'd be right down there. So they need they need to get going again. But it's in their hands. You know, Newcastle, Norwich, Burnley, the next three games. This is a huge, huge time. And I think if they've got, if they want a fighting chance, they need um, to have Ivan Tony in the side. OK, let's look back at Sunday's game. Some big matches in the race for fourth place. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Manchester United weathered the storm at Ellen Road to get all three points away at Leeds United. Terrific match um, to watch. I'm sure to commentate on as well. And Crookie, you did this one for Talk Sport International. Some fabulous goals, some brilliant individual skill in trying circumstances, starting with a goal from a corner for Manchester United at the 139th attempt. Well, if you don't succeed, first of all, try, try, try again. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I'd actually uh, reminded listeners of that stat as the corner was being taken. It uh, wasn't great marking by Leeds. I think their defenders were more interested in taking the shirts off Manchester United players' backs than actually marking them. Decent header from Harry Maguire. Really good second goal as well. Great cross caressed into the area, as you say, in difficult conditions from Jaden Sancho, who again played really well. Then Manchester United, as they tend to do, let the opposition back into the game. But in the circumstances and the conditions were probably as bad as any game I've ever commentated on. I thought United showed good heart, good character to actually come and, and go again and win the game. And you have to give Ralph Ragnick some credit. The two changes he made, bringing on Fred and bringing on Alanga. And it was those two players who came up with the crucial goals. I think I mentioned to you when um, Ragnick took over, one of the things I thought would happen was that Fred would flourish, actually. And I think he's been 
much improved since Ranić came in. I think he sort of fits the type of football that Ranić wants to play. But I, I know we've talked about it a lot on the pod, and I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think that you were as convinced after the Middlesbrough game, but I think you're coming around to the way of thinking now that Jadon Sancho has started to really elevate his level of performance. Yes, he has. And uh, credit to Kevin Hatchard, uh, our European football expert, who's always been a big uh, advocate of his. And as you say, you told me to be a bit patient with Sancho. And I think that patience is now being rewarded. And you're right about Fred. I think he's probably been the biggest beneficiary uh, of Rangnick coming in because obviously his engine, which was important at the end of that game, given the, the sodden playing surface, lends itself to the type of high-pressing football uh, that Rangnick wants to play. And in, in the context of the conditions, in the context of the pressure that was on Manchester United going into the game because Arsenal and more specifically Tottenham had picked up the wins on Saturday, I think this was probably their most impressive result of the season so far. Lots of water uh, on the pitch and the conditions were really poor. It wasn't conducive to brilliant, slick football. We did see a couple of moments of, of that, though. I mean, the wonderful Bruno Fernandes flick over the onrushing defender and then na- nudge uh, to uh, Anthony Elanga. It was absolutely superb. It was brilliant, brilliant football uh, from the Portuguese. Um, and actually, Elanga had missed an earlier chance when set up by Jadon Sancho, who could have had a hat-trick of assists in the game. Um, but um, look, we wanted to see a sort of battle, didn't we? Because it's an old school rivalry. And it was a little bit, as I think Gary Neville said it in commentary, it's like 1978 out there. It had that feel about it. Uh, but what we don't want to see is incidents which keep cropping up at Leeds United, like coin throwing. And one struck Anthony Alanga in the aftermath of one of the goals. And he was hurt by it. And you know that is a real danger, and it's not the first incident we've had with supporters over the course of this season. There is a real sort of elevated level of uh, of hate and vitriol which is coming out, and maybe you know manifesting itself because of other social issues or whatever in, in football related violence. And it, it is violence because you know this is a you know you're throwing a bit of metal at someone's head. That's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. And Leeds United have had a few issues over the course of the season. They're not by any means the only club, but they're certainly one that is prolific with it. It was a nasty incident and, and clearly it, it did hurt Alanga, albeit momentarily, but he felt the force of that coin throw. And I guess he's lucky in one respect that it hit him on the top of the head and not in the eye because that could have been a, a far more serious situation. But it, you're right, it does uh, bring into focus what's going on in the wider world. I actually had a, a moan about it on the boot room on Sunday night in the wake of the, the video involving Phil Foden that began to circulate on Sunday on social media, him being verbally abused at the boxing, his mum probably just following a parent's instinct in trying to defend her son was punched in the face. It was all very unsavoury. I hope that the culprits are found and, and punished uh, to the highest extent that they can be. But there's too much of this happening at the moment. And I think it is a societal problem that is manifesting itself in football because it is the national game. Uh, so many people attend football as, as they're released week in, week out. And I think some of them are taking that release too far. And, and I think we I do think, need to do something about it. Just to provide a bit of context, because some people might not have seen the social media video. I think it's worth pointing out that Phil Foden appears to be involved in an incident in which overspills they're in a corridor at the uh, AO Arena in Manchester, obviously getting out of traffic from the main arena. They're trying to get out, the, not traffic is in cars, but in terms of number of people because there's been an incident they've been ushered away from it. It then starts to become quite violent because someone calls someone a name and it then starts to, to, to sort of fracture and there's a punch thrown 
at Phil Foden's mum by one of these people. The, the issue here is that everyone's filming it or this particular group of people are filming it and it gives the impression, and I don't know the full extent of the incident, uh, I'm, I'm assured that Foden did nothing in the build-up to uh, entice, to cause problems for or to goad these people. But it gives the impression that there are some sections, maybe it's rival fans, maybe it's fans from other clubs, I don't know, that are trying to lure footballers into situations where they do something on camera, which they can then put on social media and get a few hits. It's a disturbing turn of events. I mean, why do you want to spend your Saturday night trying to stitch up a footballer? That feel, that that is how it came across to me when I watched the video. It's a bit of a pathetic way of operating, really. And it's brainless in so many ways. Um, a, it's brainless and, and needless violence. I mean, any anybody who throws a punch for me deserves to be punished, especially when it's a man hitting a woman. That, that takes it to a, a whole new level. But also, it wasn't the only incident, as I understand it, that night where players, Premier League footballers, were subjects of abuse. I think Raheem Sterling was attending the boxing as well, and, and he had to put up with similar verbal abuse I believe there's an incident on film involving Jordan Pickford as well it's all very unnecessary it's needlessly tribal and why shouldn't footballers just be able to go out and enjoy a night out with their families as Phil Foden was trying to do at a sporting event yeah and you'll complain next week some will complain next week that footballers are detached and uh, they don't uh, respond to requests from, from, from football fans and many of them do and they spend a lot of time in doing work in the community that doesn't get punished and then all you see is these stupid videos that go around and you have a completely skewed view of what the f- football community is actually all about um, back to the match itself big chance for United in the first 25 minutes Melier made a great save from Cristiano Ronaldo a good work from Pogba down the left hand side to centre that ball but it was um, it wasn't particularly brilliant in terms of his performance I didn't think Ronaldo I, I don't know if we saw the graphic which uh, highlighted that uh, Romelu Lukaku had only had seven touches and he was trying to beat it during Sunday afternoon's game but he, he didn't really get involved that much you know what he looked like towards the end of the game? He looked like a veteran race horse trying to produce their best on very heavy ground um, because the ball came to him on the edge of the penalty area towards the last 20 minutes. He tried to chest it down and was clearly going to try and get a shot away. And he just didn't have the legs to do what he wanted to do. It was sad to see um, in many ways. It wasn't for a lack of effort on his part, but I've said it before. His legs don't withstand uh, the physicality and the pace of the Premier League. And I, I'm strongly suspecting now that Manchester United will let him go in the summer. Leicester 5 without a win for the first time since the days of Claude Puel after defeat uh, away at Wolverhampton Wanderers thanks to a Daniel Pedence winner. And after us moaning about the race for fourth place, no one wanting it, all of them actually won except for West Ham uh, United. I don't know about you, but the Neves goal, the first goal of the game uh, from the edge of the area, good hit from him. He always does hit them particularly hard. But could Kasper Schmeichel done a bit better? I think Kasper Schmeichel could have done a bit, bit better over the course of the season in general. I don't think he's had a stellar campaign um, and I think that's been one of Leicester's many problems. They actually played better um, on Sunday. It was a better all-round performance, certainly on the boot room on Sunday night. There weren't as many Leicester fans complaining about Brendan Rodgers and his tactics and his game management. But ultimately, it is another defeat. It's, it's gone from talking about Leicester as perhaps being the best of the rest outside the, the, the usual suspects in terms of the top four to the fact they probably won't finish in the top half now. There's a gap emerging between the top half of the table and the bottom half where Leicester find themselves. I was told by a decent source earlier this week that Brendan Rodgers was running out of games in terms of keeping his job. And I think they don't play again in the Premier League until a week on Tuesday. I think it will be interesting to see what develops with him between now and then. 
a false gap, though, isn't it? Because they have 27 points from 23 games. Uh, Southampton have 32 points, but they play 25 games. And most of well, those two teams above them, Brighton and Southampton, have played two games more than them. Should they win those two games, they'd probably end up going above both of those and into the top half of the table. Uh, we mentioned on the pod, and I tried to hint to you last week. I don't know if you got that hint, but I was saying to you, you were asking me, um, I, I was. I pointed out that Max Kilman had played quite well recently, and what happens when a good young English centre-half plays well, keeps a lot of clean sheets at a Premier League club, and you said, gets a big move. Actually, I was hinting for something else, and Steve Holland, the assistant manager of England, uh, was there. I think that story now is sort of a bit more out there. Um, watching Max Kilman bring the ball out elegantly uh, on a number of occasions and actually did that to help set up the winner as well. He's turned out to be a real find and he could be in the England squad for the March games. And deservedly so when you look at Wolves' uh, defensive record. I, I did pick up on the hint, but uh, I was chucking my own information there in terms of, I know oh, there are, were you? There are a number people. of big, there are Who's a number sniffing? of big clubs Who's sniffing? Who's in sniffing? the Premier League. Well, let's say there's a club in West London who play in blue shirts who I understand are quite keen on Max Kilman. All right. Okay, fine. Okay. Well, we, well you just keep us guessing because I, I couldn't work out that, that from that hint. Um, it's a great time for Neto to return for yeah. running, isn't it? I mean, brilliant that he's come back to full fitness and he's available for what could be the crucial few months of the season. Big game for Wolves on Thursday. I mean, he'll be like a new signing. It's a cliche, but he will be. If they can go to Arsenal and pick up a win, I think we really do have to start speaking seriously about them in terms of being contender for that top four race. In fact, I think they're more of a live contender than West Ham United at this moment in time. Well, the table certainly suggests that at the moment. Leicester, two points from five, knocked out of the FA Cup. It's not going to do anything to dampen down the rumours about Brendan Rodgers and his position. But it does beg the question, who else are they going to get of that sort of calibre? And where do they think they're going to be? I mean, they won the FA Cup last season. They came very close to getting into the top four in the last two years. Why on earth would you make a change that, you know, I only I can't see it unless unless someone's turning around and telling me that uh, Allegri is going to, you know, chuck, chuck it in in Italy and come over and get involved with Leicester. It doesn't seem to be much point, really, because Brendan obviously has proved himself as a very capable coach. Yeah, and it's a difficult stage of the season to recruit managers, as you say, when on the face of it, apart from the Europa Conference League, which you ask the question, do they really want to win that? There isn't much left on this season for Leicester. Well, uh, now I was he also... knows what it is. He's probably going to want to win it, isn't he? Because he can't, can't win anything else. Well, I think they are the favourites. You know, they are probably the best team left in that competition alongside Marseille, uh, perhaps. But you would fancy Leicester at peak form to, to come through that if they were to meet the French side en route uh, or in the final. I was also told in the course of my conversations this week that maybe his relationship with the powers that be at Leicester and the sporting director in particular isn't quite as as good as it once was. So I, I do think it's a watch this space situation with Brendan Rodgers and maybe he might feel uh, privately that perhaps he's taken this club as far as he can. Back to Saturday and what a result for Burnley and for Val Veghorst after the £12 million striker set relegation threatened Burnley on course for a first Premier League win in 12 matches. Well done to them. He, he got his first goal since January when he moved from German club Wolfsburg but it was a 3-0 romp wasn't it uh, down at Brighton I don't think anyone could say that they saw it coming after Burnley endured a six-hour coach journey because of Storm Eunice battering the uh, the travel plans that Sean Dyche had laid down so it was on the coach off the bus and uh, boy did they go down and snatch all three points I bet Brighton are absolutely furious about that Alex because they've been on a decent run up until that point 
Yeah, Graham Potter described it as the worst performance of his tenure. I think it will be hard to disagree. Uh, Brighton's sea defence is battered by Storm Eunice and the Seagulls' back line, uh, battered by Storm Veghorst in this game. He was absolutely sensational. But actually, maybe it had been coming because they played pretty well against Liverpool last Sunday, missed a couple of really good opportunities at 0-0 in this game. Uh, they played well against Manchester United in that 1-1 draw. So I think their performances are improving. And I guess we've all been guilty uh, in the recent past of writing Burnley off at our peril. Uh, they're a team who've been there and got the T-shirt when it comes to fighting their way to survival in the Premier League. And maybe that will give them the edge if it comes down to a shootout against the likes of Norwich and Watford. And I think Brentford are right in it. The fact that Burnley uh, largely have had the same squad uh, for the last three or four seasons. They've clearly had the same manager. They've got that great escape know-how. That could be really pivotal. Yeah, it could be. Uh, Dice saying afterwards he thinks that Vekul should be scoring more goals. He thinks that that performance has been coming as well. Do you think it could be a start of a great escape, Trevor? It could be. It could be because you know that the manager expects players in his side to take responsibilities, to be fit, to never down tools. And, um, you know, there's certain personalities that weren't in the side. Uh, Tarkovsky didn't start. Um, Collins came in and did a, a great job. I think Roberts at right back has been a revelation. I've been so impressed with him. Um, he assisted the first goal. And all in all, I think you're starting to see a little bit of a, a cycle um, in, in, in the Premier League. And a lot of other teams are starting to play 4-4-2. It's a simple um, formation. Everyone knows exactly their jobs. And again, if you work tirelessly on the training ground and make sure that you fill the spaces and everyone knows when to press and you know what their jobs are, which, which Burnley seem to know, they would definitely feel, with the games in hand, that they've got a chance of getting out of it. Not rigid 4-4-2, though, is it? I mean, it's more like a 4-4-1-1, four, 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 one, one. One, one, isn't it? Or 4-5-1, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it, well, that's, it, every formation's got you adapt and you obviously. go with the flow of the game. Yeah. But what, what I mean is, is it's not like a, a rigid Mike Bassett 4-4-2, you know, old school <laughs> tactics. There's a little bit of nuance in there. Um, Nick Pope played very well again, but he says after the game that he hasn't thought about an England recall just yet. I don't believe that. Um, because it's not as if Henderson's playing, by the way. I mean, there's are, there are goalkeepers vying for, for that position now. There's a bit more competition in that zone. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he should be thinking about a, a recall. The only issue is he still is kicking. Absolutely. I was just going to say that, Sam. And uh, if there's one part of his game which he really does need to sharpen up on and, and improve on, you know, you can't get round it. The way that um, Gareth likes to play with the, with the national team, it's through the lines, from the back, uh, expansive, beating the press and, and creating opportunities. And I do feel Pope really does need to improve on that if he wants a fighting chance of becoming England number one again. Okay, from a Pope to a King, let's go down to the South Coast and find out how Saints got on against Everton. Have we got any regal music here? We must have some, some, some sort of like coronation fanfare. Ah, there we go. Fantastic. Well done, Lucy. Um, uh, Alex Crook, King Ralph conquers once again. He certainly does. Nine games unbeaten now for the first time since 2016. Southampton in a terrific vein of form. I'm at St Mary's in a couple of weeks for the FA Cup last 16 tie against West Ham. I'm really looking forward to that because I think 
Listen, they're safe in, in, in the Premier League, no question about that. They're actually relatively safe now in the top half of the table, so they can really have a go in that competition. West Ham's priorities potentially elsewhere, so a great chance for them. Everton actually started the game quite well. First 10, 15 minutes, uh, they were very much on the front foot. Southampton slowly uh, began to take control. James Ward-Prowse uh, with an excellent free kick, testing his England teammate Jordan Pickford. Once they scored the first goal, which came from Everton, giving the ball away deep inside their own half. There was only one winner. And from an Everton perspective, what would concern me is the fact they couldn't match Southampton's energy levels in the second half. There was no real leadership um, out on the pitch. Defensively, they were a shambles. I know their home form will probably be enough to keep them in the Premier League. They've only won once um, away all season. You can't see where their next victory on the road is coming from. And I think Frank Lampard knows that he's got an awful lot of work to do to get this team up to the standard, just in terms of fitness levels, because Southampton was superior in that department. And that would really alarm me if I was an Everton supporter. But Southampton, brilliant. Broger and Adams, a, a really promising partnership up front. Carl Walker-Peters playing out of position at a left back. Teams seem to struggle uh, with a right-footed player playing on the left-hand side of defence and coming inside. He did that on numerous occasions. Romeo was a nuisance in midfield. It was a great performance from Southampton. They're in a great place at the moment. Yeah, they are. And uh, Everton very much not in a great place when they travel away from home. That was their eighth loss on the road this season. The worst in the Premier League. And Frank Lampard did actually articulate the thoughts that you've just mentioned after the game, where he sort of suggested that his team wasn't fit enough. It's something that they want to try and improve. And they have to really, because I do think that they'll be okay because of their home form, but they are dangerously close, Trevor, to, to, to that relegation trap door. They are, and um, a lot closer than I thought they would be. Uh, at no this stage shots of the on season. target in the game. That would, yeah, that would worry it's, you. It's, it's, it's been, it's, it's, a, it's a concern. And again, you know, you look at the personnel, um, Van der Beek's not played a lot of football. He's in the heart of their midfield. Um, I have to question Iwobi being in the starting lineup because for me, you know, I don't think he's got the quality. But last um, week he was terrific. Yeah, but the consistent you need you need a six or seven yeah. out of ten every week, and you know it's way too often that he's a five or a four. And even if you're not playing well, work your socks off for the team. Make sure you put every ounce of sweat on that pitch and leave it there. And I just don't see that from him. And but you have to listen. The flip side of that, you know, I was at Old Trafford watching Southampton get the draw. They earned every yeah. every part of that, and the patterns of play they play um, through the lines, recycling the ball. Players taking responsibility. Broja is obviously a huge, huge um, threat going forward. Livermento at right back. You know, Walker Peters, you, you just mentioned it out of position. They've got good players. And, and again, you know, you have to say well done to um, Hassan Hootel because the way that he, he's, he's matured and developed this side has been really refreshing to see. And he's, he's come under a lot of pressure over the last couple of years. And I just feel he's, he's found his niche now and he's got the players that he wants around him. And yeah, they're, they're, he's getting a song out of him. I think he's been actually revitalised by the takeover of the club as well because he feels that there's a future with Southampton, whereas before, maybe he was just scrapping for his life. And that mm. can become, after a couple of years, quite tiring, knowing that the club's not actually going anywhere and all you're doing is fighting tooth and nail to keep the heads above water. Yeah, I think he's changed slightly as a manager this season as well. He was quite an introvert character before, uh, even in terms of confiding in his own coaching staff. Maybe he was not a bit sure. distant 
from the he players like as well. Uh, well, he, no, but just in terms of his demeanor <laughs> around the training ground, he was quite dictatorial. wasn't necessarily the most approachable character. I think he's worked on that. Dare I say, I think he's softened uh, a little bit, and it's, it's made for a more harmonious training ground. Mm, yeah, okay, you can't so. you can't be a disciplinarian and standoffish when you're wearing rascal clubber. I know. Either, I so he needed but to maybe do that something. was part of it. <laughs> if you're going to wear gear like that, you're gonna you're gonna be open to uh, for a bit of banter, haven't you? Absolutely. Really, to be completely honest. Although he has gone back to the tracksuit in recent weeks. Uh, Trevor was at Villa Park for the game against Watford, and Watford scored their first goals under Roy Hodgson and ended a three month wait for a victory. How did they do it, Trev? Um, I think. Looking at the game and, and as it evolved, um, first half, they started with a 4-4-2 or 4-5-1, soaked up all the pressure, uh, made it very difficult. And it almost played into, they. I think Villa almost played into their hands because the team that they started with, with Danny Ings uh, as the nine, and then you've got uh, Coutinho on the left and Buendia on the right, it was all too narrow and it was all too easy for um, for in my opinion, for Watford to defend properly, give up no opportunities, no shots on target first half for Aston Villa. The crowd were growing impatient and anxious and the best chance of the game fell to Watford on the counter-attack and it was an excellent save by Emi Martinez. Brilliant save that, wasn't it? It was really Brilliant good. Brilliant save, yeah. I mean, I would... I, listen, hindsight is a great thing, but you've done all the hard work, you've took two players on, right? put it in the corner and put it low. The fact that he tried to give Emi Martinez the eyes and it was a good height for the goalkeeper, which he almost had a little gamble at and saved it. It was a brilliant save, but I think he, he probably could have done better there, Dennis. Um, I was watching that moment not, with Peter Drury. Five. And uh, when Emi Martinez saved it, Peter was like, go on, go on, go on, because he's a big Watford fan. When Emi Martinez uh, went, uh, saved it, he sort of turned and almost sort of like pirouetted into the, the press room at Manchester City. He couldn't quite <laughs> believe it. He was, I mean, you don't see Peter that demonstrative very often, actually. He's very in control of his emotions. But like, you know, Watford fans everywhere would have been like being peeled off the ceiling when they eventually did get over the line. After a bright start for Steven Gerrard, it's gone a bit flat, hasn't it, uh, Crookie? He was left frustrated uh, by uh, not getting a penalty when Danny Ings um, was asking for one. What, what was your views? Well, can I come in on Steven Gerrard, first of all, and I'll refer you to the podcast that we recorded. I think it was before Aston Villa played Manchester United in the FA Cup, and I suggested yeah. their form wasn't fantastic, and you launched quite a vociferous defence of the Aston Villa manager saying, we're looking at teams having watched that them, he's yeah. come up against. Yeah, uh, One win in Rather eight now. just looking at a chart. Yeah, One win in eight now for Aston Villa. Yeah, but I'm looking at performances, and uh, this was a poor performance uh, against Watford, no question about that. They weren't great in their previous game against Newcastle either. I just wonder if Steven Gerrard is in danger of being a little bit overhyped, Trevor. Well, that was one thing that I was going to say, because I actually thought Roy Hudson out outdone him, uh, outfoxed him. Uh, second half, they came out 4-3-3. Bit of a 4-5-1 as well at time, depending on the flow of the game. But when they went forward and they felt they had good control of the ball and um, Aston Villa committed a lot of numbers, the three players going forward, Josh King, Emmanuel Dennis and Ismail Isar, who started in the midfield, who'd gone to the, to the right-hand side of a 4-3-3 forward, were excellent. They were dangerous. Um, they, they looked like they had a real threat and intent about them. And again, you know, I think a lot of fans were very happy when Luca Dina came in at the football club as left back. But I, I saw the, the flip side of that because I've never been a fan of his from a defensive point of view. 
Um, for the goal, when the ball was at uh, Ismail Issa's feet, you've got to stop that cross. He's on a standstill, get a little bit closer and do everything you can to put a foot out and stop the cross. He was scared to engage because he's not. he knows his weaknesses and he's not a great defender. And Ismail Issa just clipped the ball, lovely little ball, great run. Um, Ashley Young was a little bit static and a little bit square. Didn't see the run of Manuel Dennis and it's a powerful header. And I thought they deserved it. You know, I've been criticised. I put I put a little um, review of the game afterwards on, on Twitter and a couple of the Villa fans got into me and said, what game was you at? And I kind of broke it down for them. It was a game plan where first half, don't be expansive, be solid. Don't be, listen, if you get a chance to break, go and break. But in general, sit in, take the life out of the game. Second half, we'll change the shape and we'll have a real good go at it. And uh, I think um, Roy Hodgson did a real job on Steven Gerrard. Yeah, I mean, Crookie can't wait to stick the boot in on Steven Gerrard, obviously, and uh, we understand why that is. Anybody who has any sort of modicum of success, he can't wait to cut them down to size. I think you need to factor in a couple of things. First of all, you know, it's... He's coming to the uh, Premier League. He's done very well in terms of, I think, actually putting together a, a decent side that played very well despite not getting the results that maybe they deserved early in his reign. I think now it's a bit difficult, isn't it? Because what are Aston Villa ultimately playing for? Their yeah. motivation is yeah. nowhere near at the level of Watford, who are desperately fighting for survival. So there's that to factor into as well. I think let's wait and see. Before chopping off his legs, no, before he's even got no. to the end of his first season, let's <clears> wait until next season and see how well he does with that group. I think you'll find he ends up being a very successful manager. Yeah. Can I just add as well, and I feel this is quite relevant because when Frank Lampard was up at Chelsea, I thought he played a lot of technical similar players. Um, and I feel Stephen Gerrard is making the same mistake because you look at the three forward players they had, Danny Ings, Emi uh, Buendia and Coutinho. And they're all quite intricate technical players that don't really run in behind. And I thought that made it very much a lot easier for Watford to defend. In the second half later on, he brought on the boy Bailey and he brought on Ollie Watkins. And I thought they had a different dimension to their game. And I hope that he More sees speed. that. Speed. It kills because not only does it stop the opposition pressing, if you're a high line, you'll drop off and you get much more possession of the ball a lot higher up the pitch where you can take pot shots. And if you keep on getting closer, you're going to bring somebody out and then spaces develop. And if you've got willing runners, I think that can be a way of breaking down really disciplined defences. And I just feel he's fell into a similar kind of pattern to what Frank did at, at Chelsea. Uh, so Crookie's, you know, lay, lay off him, will you? You know, he'll, he'll get better <laughs> as time goes on. And the full-time whistle goes, and a few boos ring around the London Stadium. West Ham failed to retake fourth spot. Once again, this Champions League berth is proving elusive for so many sides. Who wants it? Oh, what a finish from Bakayo Saka. And they close in on the top four. First Smith Rowe and then Saka. It is Arsenal 2, Brentford nil. Goals as they go in, that's what we're all about on Game Day Live on TalkSport. And Southampton surely have sealed victory with a second here at St Mary's. Alex Crook. And talk about a dream substitution. It's Southampton 2, Everton nil. Shane Long 
has just scored with virtually his first touch. Would you believe it? Liverpool 2, Norwich 1. Two goals in the space of three minutes and it's Mo Salah who's got it. His 150th for the club. He's the second quickest player to that landmark. It's Aston Villa nil, Watford 1. They finally got their goal. It's been scored by Emmanuel Dennis. And the phrase is game over. Brighton nil, Burnley 3 is a wonderful strike from Aaron Lennon. It fell to Ziyech and his volley went past Jack Butland. That could be a massive goal in Chelsea season. Spurs were always the scrappy underdog. City, well, they're super heavyweight. The footballing bout of the weekend. Down the right, 94 minutes on the clock. We've got seven added minutes. It's towards the far post. Kane is there and he's headed it in. And now this time he's certainly won it. Now they can go the full Conte. Fantastic, fantastic entertainment. Uh, Chelsea beat Crystal Palace just uh, 1-0 with a late Hakim Ziyech strike after he'd had already one ruled out for offside. Thomas Tuchel saying afterwards, it was not the time to expect anything from us. Uh, we came from where we came, played 120 minutes in the FA Cup, 120 minutes in the Club World Cup in 30 degree temperatures. Uh, we had uh, a jet lag against a good opponent, a tough team to play. We managed to win. We kept a clean sheet, well-deserved, and could have scored in the first half. If you score late, it's always lucky. Nobody ever denies that, but you need a little bit of luck to win games. You also need your star striker to touch the ball. And um, Romelu Lukaku didn't, did he, really? Seven times he touched the ball in 90 minutes. I mean, if I'd spent 97 0.5 million pounds on anything I would expect to be able to touch it at least more than seven times and one of those was from the kickoff it's becoming a big problem for Chelsea um, and, and it is laughable um, those kind of statistics but I think he's got eight goals isn't he in, in all competitions Lukaku and I think we, we, we've seen the gap and I've mentioned it previously the, the gap between the, the top English clubs and the rest of Europe and Lukaku was seen as this revitalised, this much-improved character because he scored goals at Inter Milan. Well, we saw what Liverpool did to Inter Milan in midweek. And I think, actually, what we're seeing is why Manchester United got rid of Romelu Lukaku, because when it comes to the Premier League, he isn't a top-class striker, and the stats are starting to back that up now. And, and he's visibly been affected. His form's got worse uh, since that incident, the interview that he gave, and the, and the fact he was left out of the team. And it makes it all the worse, I think, for Chelsea fans when you look at someone like Armando, bro, just someone who's come through their system, who, who is really putting a shift in week in, week out at Southampton. And you ask the question, and it has to be asked, would they not have just been better to keep him in the building and save themselves nearly £100 million? Mm. Well, 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 you know, let's not get over uh, overexcited. But Trevor, am, am I allowed to say here, um, let's wait and see what happens next season? Can I can I say that? <laughs> or you I can, but I think when you bring in a player uh, of Lukaku's reputation and expectancy that came came with that signing, um, I think you've got to look at um, what's happening this season, Sam. Unfortunately, and yeah. Look, anyone not, who's not, done any it's research. not been great. It's not been great. They were supposed to be massively title challenges. They're European champions, and they're way off it. They're nowhere yeah. near the levels, for, in my opinion, of where Manchester City and Liverpool have set 
nowhere near. But that's again planned recruitment, isn't it? It's better recruitment, better yeah. um, using of your resources. It's time after time building for the longer term rather than the short term. Chelsea want a short term fix for everything in the in the modern game with the price of players. You cannot afford to do that. At least they had a good chance in the first half. Yeah. Rudiger sent one fizzing past uh, the post uh, from distance. Uh, Zaha had a good chance before half time and just before the end as well. Um, six without a win for Crystal Palace. I think he's quite frustrated. Patrick Vieira thinks they should be entertaining. And actually, they're still a very good side, but they're not getting uh, great results either. I think they will be okay. I don't think there's much danger of them being relegated. But again, we should wait and see what happens next season. That seems to be the theme of the day. Little Alex... little, little, little shout for Elise, though, as a winger. Yeah, Winger's union. Brilliant. Been so impressed with him. He's brilliant. You know, he's skills, end product, crosses, goals. Um, yeah, very young player as well, under 21. And uh, what he's brought to Crystal Palace through the academy, you've got to be impressed by his performances and the way that he's, you know, he's keeping big players out of the team at times. You know, Eze and um, Zaha had a good chance, but I just think he's, he's filled that role superbly well. And I think a lot of the Palace fans have been absolutely over the moon with his, his displays. Yeah, I've got to go, Trev, because I've got to try and find out where the heater is in this room and turn it off because I feel like I've been in a sweat box for about an hour talking to you two. Right, um, my guests have just arrived anyway. Oh, right. Well, you better go and entertain. Uh, uh, Crookie, have a, a good afternoon. We'll be back all together on Thursday to review um, what happened in midweek and look ahead to what's happening. In fact, we might not be out on Thursday. It might be Friday that we end up uh, coming out this week because we've got big games on Thursday. Uh, so we will uh, keep in touch with you anyway over the week on Twitter. What are you taking a picture of? I'm taking a picture of my view because I'm sat in the news building, floor 10, and I can see some lovely London landmarks behind me. I thought it was just quite a picturesque setting to record this podcast. All right. Okay. Brilliant. Fantastic. Can we finish the podcast and then you can take your picture? (laughs) I'd down tools. I've done a Romelu Lukaku. (laughs) Well, thank you very much to Crook, who's only had seven sentences to say uh, this week, and one of those was hello. Uh, (laughs) Right. We'll be back later in the week when we look ahead to another thrilling weekend in the Premier League on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.